Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I'm Tiana, and I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, Kervin. Say hi, Kervin. Award-winning. Award? (laughs) (laughs) Not for testing, other types of awards. Yeah, like best finger painter. Yep, I was the best actor in high school. Yeah, he won awards for um, speech. Yep. And for the state. So yep, and and he's really good and future farmers of America shout out to you guys thanks to you guys he is a champion <laughs> egg <laughs> he's a champion <laughs> egg um, I don't even know what did you call picker outer picker outer <laughs> he he can find the best eggs in the grocery store and I can tell you one thing future farmers of America you guys made it so hard to get out <laughs> of the dairy section with this man okay. I just wanted to say that. It's a fun conversation whenever you're looking at X and go, what does grade A even mean? And I'm there telling you there are certain criteria for a grade A. Egg. But not not even, it's not even that. Like, you'll just sit there and you'll pick up every egg in the uh, carton and look at it and turn it over. And I'm like, I just want eggs. <laughs> I don't care. That's not quality. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Let's bring it back around. So another week, another week of global news also means that you guys get to hear another episode with all the intelligence insights that you are craving. And I will say I we did get some emails this week from people saying they're very excited about today's or tomorrow. Well, today, Friday, sorry, today, tomorrow, you are out of it, but that's okay. Uh, All right. But yeah, for the for this episode. So thank you guys for the emails. And uh, this is the first I'm hearing of emails. So y'all can like, I don't know, email me sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put Sienna's email in there as well. Actually, no, you no, can no, no. Email no. her. She will not respond. <laughs> she will just let me know that she got the email. Unlike you, not telling me that you got an email. Right. So it's don't yin yang. Don't write me. I'm a yin yang you <laughs> out the house. So, All so right. Everybody has said there's balance. Love the banter back and forth between us. And that's what comes when you've been married as long yeah. as you and you still like each other though. There's that. Love. That's a very important distinction. There's no hatefulness. Yes. All right. Shush, Kervin. Actually, don't shush. Tell us what's on your radar yeah. this week. All right, we're due Russia-Ukraine as always, uh, but there's also massive protests going on in Pakistan that we need to get into. Um, Then also how China is courting Central Asia um, due to what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. There's an incoming war in Israel. We all have seen the signs. We know that's that's coming. We're going to talk about that. I do have an update on the Turkish elections that are going to be happening this weekend. It's a huge election. There's a ton of geopolitical implications about that. 
And then I kind of want to go through because, you know, I went through the with the OSAC forum and it was a lot on crisis management, had a lot of questions about key indicators of a coup and having gone through a coup and not seeing those key indicators. I kind of want to give people some insights into that. Okay, well, before we even get into the meat of this episode, the meat and potatoes of this episode and talk about the current state of the war in Ukraine, I want to know. If there has possibly been any more updates on the drones that flew over the Kremlin in Moscow, have they confirmed it as a false flag? Well, let's get into that. Um, I do want to note there uh, have been a number of reported drone attacks in Russia and in Russian occupied territory in Ukraine in recent months, but none of those have been officially claimed by Ukraine. So I want to get that out there. Okay, stop, stop, stop. Can a Ukrainian drone theoretically reach Moscow from points inside Ukraine, though? So in terms of range, drones launched from Kiev could theoretically reach like deep into Russian territory. And that concludes Moscow. And you and I both know how deep Moscow is into Russia. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's pretty far. Yeah. Um, but I will say that many analysts, myself included, believe um, if it was by Ukraine, it would have been launched much closer to the Russian border, and it possibly could have even been an inside job within Russia. So not a false flag? I'm not saying it wasn't a false flag. That still tops my list uh, uh, probability-wise. Right. It's just the weird thing is that a false flag, we're talking about a false flag, it's usually a cause and effect process. So the entity like Russia carries out a false flag because they want to carry out another more vicious attack right against that entity um now the the false flag with the entity uh, that's being blamed for right like ukraine or you know even the united states is being blamed right and so measures are taken for from russia's side to attack those entities uh now you do the false flag, that's going to ostensibly give Russia, in this case, the ability to perform a brutal attack somewhere. Ukraine, in this scenario. Um, so, like I said, this here, talk about this scenario here. Russia, a lot of people thought this is what was going to happen. And some of my analysis looked at that as well. Is that Russia would then be able to launch a tactical nuclear weapon at Ukraine. And with the public, you know, international public outcry, it would be able to then tell people, look, this was a warranted attack because Ukraine attacked us first. So what you're saying is we still don't know after a week? I mean, we don't even officially know who destroyed the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. That was I think someone ago. does. They're just not I telling mean, the little people. Yeah, well, so, somebody does, but there's also millions of people who think they know who did it. Right. And, and they're all across the board blaming everybody, but... There is, as far as what's been released, there is no conclusive evidence for any of those theories, even theories that I've put out there. Uh, And when I say conclusive, I'm talking about verifiable multi-source evidence. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, the the Substack articles that are coming out that are single sourced saying this is who did it because someone within the Reddit or something. Reddit, yeah. (laughs) Oh, stay off of Reddit, guys. Stay off Reddit. (laughs) Um, so we just don't know. It's just, and it's just how the world works these days. And I say these days because of how much access to information we have. A huge geopolitical event happens. People throw out theories, the world, you know, international crisis, the world's in an uproar. And then after a couple of weeks or months, 
you're, you know, we're on to the next thing. There's the next big thing that everybody is, is an expert on. Um, now we're over a year into Russia's, I'm going to do the, the Putin, the Putin pot, the, the, Putin Putin quote, pot. the special military operation All in right. Ukraine is over a year gone and it's already, there's a shift to, oh, what's the next possible crisis? What's the next war? Uh -huh. um, and it's just the fact of the matter is the world is right now in a very sad state. Yeah, it gets pretty frustrating that we can't get answers to all these questions because it seems like they just get swept under the rug because people are focused on the next big thing. The next big thing in geopolitics and war and stuff. But Definitely. let's now focus on what is going on on the ground in Ukraine right now. Anything new? Uh, so yes and no. Um, some huge, I would say, under-the-radar news from this week is the fact that the U.S. Uh, U.S. Air Force confirmed that Ukraine shot down a Russian hypersonic missile. Well, that's pretty significant. You've talked about hypersonics a bit and how difficult they are to down with conventional weapons. So what do we know about this shoot-down? Yeah, so I would say that hypersonics have been the number one topic I'm emailed about over the last few months from different various journalists trying to understand that. Uh -huh. um, and you're correct. If it's a true hypersonic missile, it is nearly impossible for a conventional style weapon to shoot it down. So what do you mean by true hypersonic? Well, I'll go to the definition. So the definition, let's start with the official definition of hypersonic is this, relating to speeds of more than five times the speed of sound. Now, a hypersonic missile does more than just fly five times faster than the speed of sound. It goes There's boom. Also, right, yeah, it goes. It also goes boom, but it also does different types of maneuvering. Um, and, and there's also multiple types of hypersonic weapons. So there's the hypersonic glide vehicle. That's the one that maneuvers and glides through the atmosphere at high speeds. It's very difficult for a missile to get up to, you know, a conventional missile to get up to uh, that height. There's also uh, hypersonic cruise missiles, and those use uh, scramjets, and that's what gets it to reach those high speeds that um, the, that it can get up to. Uh, you also have hypersonic aircraft. Uh, the, this is something that is, is new and, and hopefully something in the future where we can get travel at speeds of Mach 10 and get to places much quicker. Yikes. Uh, and then there's uh, ballistic missiles that are hypersonic ballistic missiles, and they travel at high speeds during its atmospheric reentry. So it goes very slow to get up out of the atmosphere, and when it comes back down, it goes to hypersonic speeds. Very difficult for a conventional weapon to track that down. Um, you had a question? No. I mean, no. so I was going to finish with uh, <laughs> just, just going back to the maneuverability of these of these weapons. That's the most important thing, I think is that they can maneuver away from conventional weapons. So what happened in this situation? Well, like I said, the Air Force confirmed this week that the Kinjal missile, which is a Russian missile, had been downed for the first time since they'd been used against Ukraine. That is a uh, Russian hypersonic air-launched ballistic missile. We talked about that just a few seconds ago, ballistic missile. But I have not seen anything that confirms that that is actually a true hypersonic weapon, except for the fact that Russia says it's a true hypersonic weapon. <laughs> right. So take and that. We all know. We all know how trustworthy <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the. It's we the second second most trustworthy government on the planet. Follow. It's China's number one, and then China's it's Russia. number one. Right. 
the ones I trust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the missile was shot down by U.S. provided Patriot missiles, which I will say this, even if the missile isn't a true hypersonic, it's still very impressive that the Patriot missile uh, can help the, you know, that the Patriot missile can down that. Um, and also, this also helps the U.S. identify how to deploy Patriot missiles in a future global war. So that's actually one of the benefits. You know, we talk about why are we sending so much equipment to Ukraine and we're spending all these billions of dollars when we should be spending it on our own economy. And I agree with a lot of those statements. Right. One of the things we don't talk about a lot is that there are benefits to sending that equipment from the U.S. to Ukraine. So the U.S. military gets to see some of these weapons in use that they have not been able to see in counterterrorism. <laughs> and that would be in use against a near-peer adversary like Russia. So they're getting to see all these weapons be put to use in an actual combat scenario. Exactly. And they can do lessons learned on, is this a good use for that weapon? Or can uh, we pivot over here? Definitely. Okay. Well, that's that's a good point. I mean, it is the kind of analysis... That doesn't get highlighted while we are right. having all of these political arguments about what to do and what not to do while supporting Ukraine and against while supporting Ukraine against Russia. Yeah, I, I do think it's important to kind of step outside. We talk about this all the time. Step outside of the political conversations. Just see things from a practical sense so that you can start to understand the benefits of certain arguments or agreements or debates. Well, let's move to Pakistan, as (laughs) I think this is the big news of the week, honestly. Former Prime Minister Imran Khan was arrested in Islamabad, and that set off a series of protests. Some of those protests turned violent. Is that country on the precipice of a crisis? Well, breaking news, as we're doing this right now, I want to get this out at the top, is that the Supreme Court in Pakistan ruled his detention unlawful and have released him to a local home where he is staying uh, to clear up this legal battle. But that hasn't stopped protesters. Um, and, and some would argue that the crisis is already there in Pakistan. And if you're a foreign citizen in Pakistan, you may want to start considering how you're going to get out of there if it isn't too late at this time. Which we discussed, was it the last podcast I think it was plans. It was either the last one or two weeks ago talking about Sudan. Yeah, about Sudan. Okay, so what is the background there, and how did it get so out of hand so fast? Well, start with uh, with Imran Khan. He was removed as prime minister last year of Pakistan. He's been charged in more than a hundred cases, including corruption, terrorism, and blasphemy. That's a, that's an interesting one, but that's one that Pakistan blasphemy. has. Blasphemy. Yeah, I. I could be charged with that a lot of times. You can ask my family. But um, I feel like that just, is something that it's open to interpretation. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. interpreting it. Because what some, one person might consider blasphemy, someone else might not consider. I don't know. that. Okay. Well, we're, we don't live. And Pakistan's a, a very yeah, religious government. I, I, I don't know. So and, I can't say anything about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But where they misstepped is that Imran Khan is one of the most popular politicians in Pakistan. And okay. so that's why so many people right now are protesting. Okay, but it's dissolved, devolved, dissolved, dissolved or devolved into yeah, chaos. Yeah, very, very quickly. And why is it? Is it like just stemming from his popularity or? 
Well, there's, I mean, there's a number of reasons. It's, it's never just about the person, right? Uh-huh. Um, so Pakistan. Which, is... hold on. We need to talk about the episode of Ted Lasso because we got a good lesson. It says a lot of times when you act out like that, that's not necessarily what you're mad about. Definitely. Yeah. And, okay. and if you're not watching Ted Lasso, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, not a sponsor, but if they want to. <laughs> honey, honey, <laughs> it's the last, it's the last series. They don't need, they don't need our help. They're good. <laughs> I'm just trying to get that Apple TV money. <laughs> um, but hey, you bring up a good point. It's never about, well, I'm not going to say not never. Ne- we don't... None. I mean, it's part of it. Obviously what happened was upsetting yep. to these people and they maybe are upset about other things. Yeah. And, and let's go through that. This is the catalyst right. that set him off. And I mean, I, I don't think anybody's going to be powder keg by this. It is a powder keg there because huh. the country is grappling with an economic crisis. Huh. You know, inf- inflation leaves people unable to abo- afford food and fuel. Where have we Sounds heard familiar. that before? Yeah. yeah. Um, and these are things, honestly, if you're listening to this and, and you're thinking, man, what are these triggers that I should be looking for in my own country or my own community? that something dangerous may happen, always follow the money. Right. Money, if you start taking money away from people, I don't want to get into this too much, but if you start taking money away from people, it's, it's going to cause violence, and you're not going to like it. So just putting that out there, yeah. uh, violence is very important to people. Well, I mean, that's literally what makes everything run you have to have money to get food you have to have money to have shelter you have to have money to get the basic needs but it's required you can't yep not and, have it well like i guess we've some said, people plenty of times the government's not they're not gonna you know the government's not gonna save you they're yeah. not there to bail you out they're only worried about their own finances um but yeah if they can't the people of pakistan can't afford food can't afford fuel that gets them to work that that allows them to get money yeah um there's also heightening fears about the country's stability as a whole uh and it's it's also an election year for pakistan so what you're saying basically is that the government isn't doing anything for its people yeah and i i think that is the main concern from people um and that you trickles down with money and that kind of stuff but mm-hmm. the government's not doing anything for them. And and the, the country has a long history of political instability. Uh, it's been ruled by a number of different governments, and it, it hasn't been a country for that long. I think the right. 1940s is when it became its own country. Every single government that has controlled Pakistan has faced its own challenges. Uh, this has led to a lack of trust in the government. Shocker. You don't uh-huh. do things for people, and they lack trust. Um, yeah. So that's or what you're, you're elected to help the people, and then you don't do anything. You just line your own pockets, kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. And and then it's also that there's a sense there that the country's always in flux, and it's never going to improve. Right. So people, like you're saying, people should try to leave Pakistan if they can, because you see something coming. Is this okay. what you're implying? I don't. I'm... So, okay. I want to say for the people of Pakistan, yeah, that are living in Pakistan, and you're Pakistani, do what do it. Protest, do what you can to get the government to listen to you. 
Yeah. If you were a foreign national in Pakistan right now, I would recommend that you leave. Okay. But I also understand I'm curving. I'm just an individual person. It's not possible for some people working there. It's right. Not po- it's definitely not possible for businesses, you know, that may be headquartered there. Right. Um, who are working in the country. You can't just pick up the entire headquarters, move it because a crisis happened. Uh-huh. But it, as far as individuals and the families, um, yeah, it's probably a good time to get out. And then, you know, you get out and that doesn't mean you just leave the country. You get out and you wait for the crisis to pass and then you can come back. This is all cyclical. So you okay. can wait for it to pass and come back. Okay. So it's just like an interim thing? Yeah, while... definitely. Okay. Well, especially with an election coming up in that country, we will absolutely keep track of that situation. Like we promised, we said we're going to keep track of all the magical elections that are yeah. coming up in the you next year. election talk. Stay away from This Week Explained. Yeah. So let's get into China. What are they doing to court Central Asia? Oh, uh, yeah. This is so before we get into the election talk in Turkey, um, it's, this is a good one to have. Because uh, I want to highlight, you know, how China undermines its own allies. So okay. if any of those allies are listening, you can kind of get a little hint as to what China's going to do for you. Yeah, or what they're not going to do. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a better term for it. Um, now, since Russia invaded Ukraine, China has seen, or not China, I'm sorry, Russia has seen this steady decline in its influence in Central Asia. Oh, so hmm. what countries are we talking about here? Well, it's like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, all the stands. All, all, all the those stands. stands. Um, but also Turkey. They're, Turkey's playing a part in this situation. We'll talk about them later. But these are close allies with Russia. Former right. Soviet, uh, you know, Soviet, Soviet countries. Right. And so with that, they're now looking to shift their allegiance to a country um, in their mind, that on the surface supports Russia. Right. So then it looks like a win-win situation so for those countries. Th- they're thinking they are aligning with Russia and China, not realizing that China's con- trying to undermine Russia, right? Yeah, because it's it's long been assumed by many analysts that there's a separation of roles between Moscow and Beijing, uh, China sure. and Russia. So Russia provides security, uh-huh. while China delivers investment and and business development right that's not the case anymore um and it's especially not the case with the portion where where russia should be providing security because they're at war in ukraine so they can't Mm -hmm. do that those countries aren't getting those security measures they've been promised by russia for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So what is the full geopolitical impact of this situation? Well, it's this really revolves around the war in Ukraine, and, and that's weakened Russia and how other countries view Russia, but it's also increased China's power and influence in in that region. Uh, like we talked about with Central Asia, China's now the dominant power in Central Asia. That's just a fact. They've invested heavily in that region in recent years, and, and now they're the region's largest trading partner. Uh, 
we I know we're just focusing on Central Asia, but we can go into Southwest Asia, also known as the Middle East. Right. And and they're now a major power player in the Middle East. And that's directly because of the war in Ukraine, which has disrupted global energy markets. So mm-hmm. China's looking to the Middle East to secure its energy needs. So I will say you asked what's the political, the geopolitical impact of the situation. The rise of China as a global power is having profound impact on the geopolitical landscape. China is challenging the United States as a global superpower. And right now, we just don't know what the outcome of that competition is going to be. And it definitely needs to be a focus of world leaders. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Say it. I was just saying, maybe we could stop electing people who need to be in nursing homes. Yeah, and that's not just a U.S. issue, I will say, but... I know people like going with name recognition, you know? Yeah. It's pretty hard for them to get out of the name rec- recognition, because, you know, it's the same thing in Louisiana. It's a lot of the same families for generations getting elected to the state government just over and over. Like you said, very cyclical, just going all around in a circle. A Landrew leaves and yep. then a, um, some other one comes in and it just keeps going like that. And it I don't even know what the Are point we, of me. You know, we up. had globally, right? Well, not globally, oh, but uh, U.S. wide, yeah. we had, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, we got Clinton's the Bushes and, the, the, and we yeah. still have Kennedys. We still have Kennedys right now. I know, making a rise. Freaking Kennedy coming up to the ranks. But he sounds like he's ready to shake things up, though, because he's ready to call people out. Mm, he sounds like he's ready to be suicided by the CIA. Like like his relatives. What, yeah, like all of his relatives. Allegedly. I mean, allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, right, right, right. All right. We are an unbiased <laughs> geopolitical podcast. Let's get that. Well, let's, <laughs> let's not. Quit, quit pushing that narrative. Well, we just, like the way you worded it was, we have informed opinions. Yes, that no one else has to have. <laughs> that no one else has to have. We just say our informed opinions because it's our podcast. And if you don't like it, there's plenty of other podcasts that will probably go nicely in your echo chamber. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. I don't even remember so, what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> well, we're still talking about, well, China becoming a, a global superpower and the implications okay. of that. Okay. Well, there are lots of those there. So does <laughs> this all play into China's thinking when deciding a timeline to invade Taiwan, though? Yeah, you nailed that one. That's exactly okay. what's going on here. This is all a process for Xi to prepare China for that invasion and the possibility, because with if it was just an invasion of Taiwan, it would have already happened. Right. right. But that's not the implication. The implication is they invade Taiwan, and, and China knows this. Xi knows this. It, there's a possibility of a global war with the U.S. and its allies if the, if they were to get involved. Uh-huh. And I can tell you, with per, with with insider talk. Uh-huh. Those nations are going to get involved. They are not okay. just going to let Taiwan get invaded. Whatever by they China. want, yeah, whatever they want. Yeah, and and none of this. So so on the China factor, it's not just decided overnight. So when this does happen, when China invades Taiwan, it's not going to be oh they just decided that yesterday and they went in. No, there's a bunch of indicators that suggest China's preparing its military. But what's fascinating is it's also preparing its economy 
and it's also preparing its network of allies to invade Taiwan. Well, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's... Well, since since you're talking about war <sighs> again, let's move to Israel and get the latest on a possible war between Israel, Iran, and possibly other countries in that region. Yeah, so I'll start by saying that the situation right now in Israel is very tense. Uh, There's been a ton of violence in recent days. There's rockets being fired from Gaza into Israel. Because of that, airstrikes are being carried out by the Israeli military into Gaza. It's led to a number of casualties. This is tragic. Uh, and it's on both sides. So if you're standing on one side or the other, take a step back. Civilians are dying in this situation, and it's not good. Uh, the Israeli government has said that it is committed to protecting its citizens, and it's going to continue to take action against those who fire rockets into Israel, as they should, as also w- unprovoked if Israel fires rockets into, say, Lebanon or Gaza that country should retaliate. That's just how it goes. Now, the Palestinian Authority has condemned Israel's violence, not their own, and has called for a ceasefire. And so that's where we stand right now. Now, let's discuss Iran and how that changes what's going on in Israel. So those two countries are on opposite sides of a number of regional conflicts. That includes the Syrian civil war. Uh, They were on opposite sides for the Yemeni civil war. And they are the top two rivals in the Middle East. Uh, go and let's talk both sides of this. Israel believes they're surrounded by adversaries. One of those adversaries is Iran. And that adversary is getting closer to obtaining nuclear weapons that could be devastating for the region. Israel is also concerned that Iran's support for terrorist groups such as Hezbollah and Hamas is going to uh, play into factor with attacking Israel because those groups have carried out attacks in the past against Israel. And Israel believes, and and so do most analysts, believe that Iran is providing those groups with financial and military support. Iran has concerns as well, right? Yeah, definitely. Thanks for putting me back on track for the both sides of this. Uh, there's always two sides to the situation. Iran's concerns revolve around Israel's military power, but more importantly, its close relationship with the United States. Ron believes that Israel is a threat to its security because of its relationship with the United States. And also, Iran's called for the destruction of the state of Israel because of these factors. So, another week with no resolution to that current shadow war. (laughs) Well, why don't we talk about the latest on the election in Turkey? Is there anything brewing in that country, and what should we be looking out for? Yes, so, man, I was looking at the polls today. There's a lot of uncertainty in Turkey right now. Uh, The countries outside of just the election is facing a number of challenges, including a struggling economy, a refugee crisis, and then political divide. Now, current President uh, Erdogan, he's facing a strong challenge from his main opposition candidate. What do you know about the opposition candidate? So before we get into that, uh, there's some interesting news. Speaking of opposition candidates this week out of Turkey, as um, one of the opposition candidates withdrew from the election and they put their full support of their party behind Erdogan's main opposition. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> Tiana's in it. She's interested. Uh, nah, yeah. I know you guys can't see me, but I was almost falling asleep listening to him drone on. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly, that happens. Uh, there's a little 15 second button you can push back to get to Tiana's questions, please. Yeah. Um, but this is a hugely contested election. It's one of the more important ones this year. Now, the main opposition party is the Republican People's Party. It's a social democratic political party in Turkey. Uh, their ideology is based on the principles of secularism, republicanism, nationalism, and statism. Um, so it goes kind of uh, against a government of Islam, uh, which, which Turkey is it's loosely based on. Uh -huh. Now, they also focus, they've, they've tended to focus on secular upper middle class. Huh. Yeah, um, we have that kind of party here in the United States. We don't have that kind of party. We have those kinds of parties. <laughs> that only care about yeah. secular upper middle class. Yeah. Um, I will say that now, during this election, they have made a concerted effort to reach out to the poor rural locations and then also the working class. So do you have any idea who will win this election? I mean, I would say, so like I said, I was looking at polls, and this was even before the withdrawal by one of the opposition candidates. So the, the Republican People's Party candidate was polling ahead of Erdogan, but it was at, I believe, 48%, so just under the 50% threshold, which would lead to a runoff. Um, now, with this that just happened, it's so close to the election, it's tough to say, but I could see that changing. Um, and that that party wins outright. Um, I'm just not confident that's going to happen. And, and it's because there's so many variables right now. Um, with with all that said, I'm going to say this. The election in Turkey is going to lead to unrest. A large group of the population is going to be upset no matter who wins. So we're going to get back to what we talked about in Pakistan. If you're in Turkey, prepare there's an election coming. If you, if you haven't been preparing for that, start now. No better time than the present to start. If Erdogan wins, protest contesting the election is going to be massive. If he loses, protest contesting the election will be massive. Uh -huh. That's just what's going to happen. Um, and th that's why we're going to start highlighting these elections uh, now that are further down the line so that we can kind of educate people if you need to get out. Because it's going to cause unrest around the globe, and that includes the United States. Well, that's a great segue into the next topic. You said you wanted to talk a bit about key indicators of a coup, and Excuse. I'm almost sure that the outcome of an election like this is probably one of those key indicators. Oh, you were right. It, it definitely is. And not in the sense that a coup happens after a contested election, but in the sense that an election like this leads to unrest, that leads to economic collapse. I don't know. It sometimes <laughs> does kind of lead to a coup. I don't know if you guys heard about January 6th. Not not a coup, but <laughs> the Whatever. Of... <laughs> they, yeah, they tried. They did try, but they tried. That's the point is what I'm saying. A group of patriots. No, and I'm just it, kidding. <laughs> it, yeah, um, you better be kidding. They shouldn't um, have done that. That was messed up. And so... Um, yeah, like you said, sometimes it does directly lead to a coup in situ in, in certain situations. Yeah. But sometimes it's just one of the indicators because right. it leads to other kind of things. And that in turn gives opposition leaders a chance to overtake the government. So I will say it's true. Sometimes a coup timeline is very difficult to predict. You don't know when it's going to happen exactly, but... 
when you're trying to stay safe and you're trying to understand when to leave a certain situation, you don't need to predict the exact date it's going to happen. You just need to understand that it's close to happening. And so now let's get out of here. Let's be safe. Let's take our babies and leave this place. Definitely. Okay, so that's something you didn't do in your time in Burkina Faso, right? Yeah, and it's not something that I hide behind. There's a whole blog about it. Um, so I just want to be very honest about some of the things that I didn't see coming and why I... Oh, I know. You literally, I, you sent me pictures of you on a rooftop in the... Was it the same hotel that they held people up in with with one no. of your buddies? Or was it I, a different one? I was in a house that overlooked that hotel. Well, no. Oh, you were in a house that overlooked the hotel. Yep. Where have you met up with Nate? Oh, no, that was a, that was a, a different crisis. Yeah. Oh, that was a different one? Oh, that was in, uh, ch- that was in Chad. Oh, oops. I Don't go I'm anywhere with me. I'm trying to say. Literally mixed up. Okay. I don't remember. Sorry. There's just, no, this is, so yeah. I, I want to go back to like three to four months before the coup in Burkina. Okay. I want to be completely honest. Uh, about my own failures. So I was personally asked from the commander on the ground about the security situation in the country of Burkina Faso and whether we all should leave that country. Mm -hmm. And I will say I love Burkina Faso Mm -hmm. so much that I fought to keep us there because I love the people there. And and everybody, it's part of probably the reason why I was stayed safe and got out. Um, because yeah. of the, my network of people that I was kind to, if I can push that narrative, be kind yeah. to people. Yeah. Um, I was able to get help from certain, I had drivers, there was a checkpoint right next to the house that I was in, which wasn't the house I was staying in or living in. It was what I was working in and I needed to go two and a half miles to get to my bed in my location. And I legitimately had drivers, local drivers, calling, saying, I'm getting in my truck and I'm going to come pick you up. And I had to stop them because they would have died. Yeah. And that is because of kindness. That's all you have to do. Yeah. Is be a genuinely kind person. And try to understand other people's perspectives. Like your perspective isn't the only one. Exactly. On the planet. Like, there are other people who have gone through other things who need different things from you, and that doesn't make them less than you. No, it's, it's just, I mean, it's I just, would say we're, we're yeah. all equal, but their stories, and we talked, you know, we talked about this with, uh, with, with Rick, uh, Rickonomics, yeah. about how, like, the janitor at the Pentagon has so I, much of a story to tell. Yeah, right. That you should listen to it. Right. Um, We'll get back. I mean, I'm I'm going off into a tangent. We're going here. all over the place. Um. So, like I said, I I said, hey, we, we shouldn't leave because uh, I loved it there. I love the people there, the food. In in my defense, though, the other country that was being suggested that we leave to, mm-hmm. which is what you just talked about when I was in chat oh. with Nate. Oh, okay, okay. It's not exactly the bastion of freedom and security. Okay. So I was weighing those two options. So I gave an informed answer that Burkina Faso at that moment was much safer and we should stay. Uh-huh. And three months later, that's in a timeline that's very short. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
General Diandere overtook Ouagadougou, and he took over the country, and the country shut its borders, and I couldn't get out for a while. So, okay, mister, what key indicators did you miss? Well, I... Okay, at that time, I didn't pay enough attention to geopolitics. I completely understand, because I didn't listen or watch the listen to or watch the news at all because it depressed me definitely it's still depressing it's still... but now i need to be informed so <laughs> yeah. so so yeah and, and my mission was purely counterterrorism as a family that's what we focused on uh-huh. terrorist attacks uh but you know even like terrorism is a key indicator country is overrun by terrorists that country's not secure i feel um, like that's that good should be like a duh right <laughs> we're not putting that on a shirt because everyone knows yeah um and and so that's going to lead to unrest unfortunately that right. leads to a possible coup but right to, away from that another main indicator that like we talked about is money money's always an indicator for unrest and in this case a coup so uh, economic instability leads to public discontent which can create an environment conducive to a coup. Um, people should be looking for these things. Signs of an economic downturn. The whole planet. Yep. Okay. Okay. Keep going then. I like okay, it. I, I, I am. I'm going. Okay. I'm going. Ready? I'm going. So we uh-huh. got economic downturn. The whole planet. High inflation. The whole planet. Widespread unemployment. The whole planet. Public frustration over e- economic inequality. The... Regular people of the planet. Right. Because the rich people don't give a crap. Right. Not not the Kindles and the Shivs of the world. Not the... Oh, the we, had tie, we had to tie... We had to... Yeah, the Curvins and Tianas. We had to tie in Succession since we already talked about uh, Ted Lasso. Please watch that show. Oh my it gosh, it's so good. Done. That is... Oh, I don't oh, know. Oh, it's so great. It's, perf- uh, it's perfection. When we're anyway. done here, I'm going to to run up to you and we're going to talk about succession. Heck yeah. So in a coup, uh, the the entity organizing the coup, I will say, usually, you know, usually a military leader or former military leader. Right. Sometimes a former president. Someone who has a rapport with a pretty substantial amount of people to kind of back him, right? Exactly. Or them. Sorry, that was sexist. Them. No, only dudes would do a coup. I... I would stop it. Only dudes are dumb enough. Okay, you fixed it. Yeah, you Um, fixed it. But that's just a just a joke. That's not serious. Yeah, that's a joke. Sorry, guys. Um, but that entity organizing the coup needs support of the people, right? You can't just take over a government and then have the people come and take over you. What you're doing, right? Just that's not a good way to work. No. Um, So they need the support of the people. And without that support, that coup's going to go nowhere. Right. So those are two pretty big indicators. And I can think of a few countries where those scenarios are already playing out. Like the whole world. The world, like Tina said. The world. What is a a subtle indicator that you could look for? Yeah. So I'll say one that may be difficult to discern. (laughs) Not the number one Survey says, not number one, but one that's yeah. difficult to discern, you know, unless you are reading all the information uh, that's being put out. And I'm talking about put out through sources that are not necessarily affiliated with that state or that country. Uh-huh. Um, and, and this is like conversations on social media. That's a big one. I would say it, we always tell people not to be on social media 
but definitely keep track of what people are saying there uh-huh. or having conversations with people in the military. Um, if you know military leaders, you can kind of get insight, things like that, that give you insight into what's going on in the minds of people. Uh, and some of those things, so you're going to say, what are you looking for? What signs are you looking for? Uh, you, like closed door meetings between military officials. Um, but how are like regular people supposed to know about these closed door secretive meetings? It that's where that's where social media comes in because guess what? Those people... idiots doing it go uh-huh. on social media and especially Blast Twitter out there and yeah. just tell everybody what they're doing. Everybody does. Everybody puts everything on the internet these days. I, I know. Feel like it's it's wild. It is. I, I saw the CIA putting stuff out there. It's Oy. like clandestine, covert. I uh, except I for just, Twitter. <laughs> I was just having this conversation about uh, JPRA getting uh, needing better like public affairs because no one knows what JPRA is, and I'm like, the CIA is a covert organization, and mm-hmm. everyone knows what they're doing. Right. That does not make sense to me. No, they if should the, be. <laughs> if you're in the CIA and you're listening, shut up. You don't need the clout. You don't need it. But even um, even outside of social media, uh-huh. it can be very subtle. Uh, but you can you can kind of get it. You can do, there's a lot of talk on the street. And these uh-huh. are, I'm not talking about like the United States. We kind of don't do that anymore where we go out and just talk. Have with conversations the with our neighbors. No, we can't It'll, do that. Unless what, what our... you in okay. sorry you were you were saying unless it's our, I it was nothing that important <laughs> so just go ahead continue your thought because I already forgot what I was going where I was going with that so well, I was just saying like countries in like Africa that is like community is very important to people mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's amazing I love it you sit outside and you have these conversations and you just put information out there like well. That's what I love about our neighborhood is that we have a bunch of people who emigrated from Africa and they all sit on their stoops and yeah. they all prepare dinner. They all have conversations. They have groups of people and it's really cool. And, and as a couple from Louisiana, it's very endearing because it's something we remember in our childhood. Yeah, that's, of, we did that a lot too. You You may not even know the person, but they invite you into their home, right? Right. Oh, I miss that. I miss those days. I do Anyways, too. Anyways, let's and go so back. Th- yeah, that's... You know, like, we are not staying on topic today. <laughs> uh, Yeah, this is... So I came into this going, let's just get this done, short, sweet, get, get yeah. the information out, and we have yeah. made it into an almost hour conversation. And there uh, haven't been any mess-ups, really, so... Nope. Okay. But I do want to say... That um, that it's kind of like conversations on the street. You're gonna see a lot of those type of conversations happening. If you hear those conversations of "Hey, I heard the military was gonna do this," if you're seeing tanks running through the street, get out. But if but if you're hearing the possibility of that, start preparing to either leave or also find a secure location that you can not... stay at. So, do you have anything else you'd like to discuss this week? After that, we are out of time. Thank you for listening to our independent, humble little geopolitical bro- pod broadcast podcast. Sorry, this is not <laughs> going so well this week. 
We hope you found it informative and engaging. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Ocoin Analytics. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.